Come follow us on our journey to get a low-budget DIY feature film from script to screen and beyond. And beyond. Nobody, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> Look at yourselves, realistically, nobody's going to give you that money. Nobody. You don't know who the fuck you are. It's a complete risk. You are unknown. This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, you're going to get it warts and all. For now, you're just some pair of idiots like everyone else. Never wait for permission. You just have to start. Give yourself something impossible to do and then just find the bloody way of making that thing happen. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Hello, hello. How are you doing? It's so lovely and sunny where we are. Guess where we are again? <laughs> it's our favourite place. Oh, it's our favourite place. It's Ali Pali. It's the home of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Palace. Well, the last time we were here, it was very, uh, very cold. Yeah. Uh, it was December. Or December. December. I, I think so. It was, Christmas, it was pre-Christmas. Or was it after Christmas? Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. It, was it pre-Christmas? It was after Christmas, pre-New Year. Was it the was it the, the perineum? The perineum? Mm. Because there was the drunk darts uh, yeah. crowd who yeah. kind of surfed down the muddy hill towards us. Didn't yeah, they? Were, the whole family of muddy drunk people who were like had to make their way back up to Yorkshire somehow. Uh, but it's a very different scene tonight, isn't it? It's beautiful sunshine. It's beautiful sunshine. Beautiful um, drinks. We've got, we've got drinks. We're slightly um, ghettoing it because we did buy one drink from the pub and sit outside the pub, but we yeah. brought our own. We came with full picnic and drinks this too. Is, uh, well, this is pure DIY cinema <laughs> style. As in, you know, bring your own, do it yourself kind of DIY. thing. DIY. So um, we are doing it ourselves again tonight, and um, and we've also got an amazing London view. The sun is out and sli slightly setting. Yeah, but, um, it, it's a lovely little spot. It's lovely, lovely, lovely. We've been chatting about because we've been doing some episodes about the old man and talking talking to some of the people kind of involved in the film. And this episode was all, we were due to be chatting to our DOP Rami. Rami, long-term old friend and colleague. Very, very long-term friend, old colleague, and the brilliant, brilliant director of photography on the film. Uh, and uh, we were just trying to arrange a call uh, that we could all kind of uh, kind of be on to do yeah. that interview, but we're all such busy people, we couldn't quite triangulate our uh, schedules, could we? Triangulate our <laughs> schedules. <laughs> that makes it sound so much more grand than a bit busy with work this week. Yeah, so um, no, we couldn't. So, um, but you're going to triangulate your schedule schedule with um, well, Rami. Well, what weekend. I do, Rami, Rami is now on, um, as a very busy man, he's now on, a, he's on some kind of drama shoot. So yeah. call, doing calls on a week day or week evening is kind of impossible for him. It's only weekends. And you're a visit, very busy man because you're off festivaling in the next couple of weekends. Well, this is true, yeah. So I've just come back from a stint of festivaling. Uh, I, I, we were just talking about, and I was trying not to gloat at the fact that um, <laughs> the film was, did a little sneaky private screening at Glastonbury. So uh, we've had the bell tent out and we um, showed it to a, a, a crew from a sort of within the story backstage. Um, at uh, Glastonbury and uh, it was Amazing. absolutely marvellous I, I must say it was so lovely to be there again after all these years I mean we've been to Glastonbury together for quite a few times yeah. over the years and obviously it's the centre of the cultural universe in the middle of in the middle of uh, Somerset and um, 
so uh, so yeah that, that that has been the last kind of time we got the bell tent out and, and this time we're getting the bell tent out again this weekend as we're going to another lovely little festival called also festival which describes itself as a festival of ideas Ooh. so a little bit more grown up um, although Glastonbury certainly has its grown up corners but it's a lot more about um, talks and uh, workshops and nice. that kind of thing with you know beautiful setting and music and DJs and and the like as well but um, yeah so getting the Very getting nice. getting the um, the bell tent out again which is a little bit shoddy at the moment it must be said but um, yes the summer the summer of uh, summer of festivals and and uh, being out being with the kids and in a field somewhere you know it's got to be done isn't that it? is fantastic well I'm, I must I'm quite proud of us at the moment because we are con we are at the moment this is episode 28 I believe of DIY Cinema Carl 28? hang on let, let me just get if I got that right yeah 28 wow 28 so we will soon be reaching our 30th episode mm. should we have some kind of celebration for that what do you reckon we should pull out the hat for that one Maybe we should be outside a pub in Ali Pali. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it that we started off, you know, two old men in a shed in the yeah. freezing cold that, yeah. that November day when we started this podcast. And now we seem to be just coming up here with an incredible view and sunshine and just kind of living it up, basically. Well, we've got, you've, got to get, you've got to go with the, the changes of the time and the seasons. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're not far off from the midsummer area, so you've got to be near the sun, you've got to be... At one of London's highest points. Yeah. Um, but it's true, we come a long way from the shed. And soon the shed, we may have to do our 30th back in the shed. I think we it, should do. Because it may be the last time. Oh, really? This is, is the shed going to be leaving? The shed may soon not be uh, the hub of Trinder Films anymore because um, uh. we may well be moving from that place <gasps> permanently. So, wow. So maybe we need to do a kind of anniversary uh, and final where it began episode. and then yeah oh that's a bit sad well I don't know why I think it's sad we only did like one or two episodes there yeah yeah well I've done I did nearly all the rest oh, of you've them done all of your episodes because we did about two years worth of them from <laughs> in lockdown of course I'm so in some ways I did most of them from there but um but you obviously didn't you were in your bedroom yeah with washing kind of hanging, hanging on the radiator's pants and stuff yeah, everywhere absolutely so it's all <laughs> this is all part of the DIY ethos isn't it and aesthetic um, but so, so what's been happening with you, Mark? Because um, there's been so uh, I got some exciting things in my inbox yesterday. Yeah. So, so for anyone listening to this, we are going to be releasing these episodes during our Kickstarter campaign for the old man. So, um, we are beaming to you from from the past in a way. And so, I've been working on the Kickstarter films for our our campaign that you may be seeing released. Um, currently little kind of behind the scenes and makings off and the launch yeah. film which you've been helping me with and giving advice on so it's just our campaign to try and raise money for our final block of final block of shooting for the old man second yep. and final block um just so we can get it all done and in the can and we can start you know moving into post-production mm. um i know everyone's keen to to get back at it i know rami is um, and I'd like, you know, when, when I do the call with him, I'll chat to him about our plans for that second, second block. But yeah, it's just trying to get ourselves, not lose momentum and just try to get this film done this year. Yeah. Well, it, in some ways, the 30th, I'm hoping that the 30th episode will be a landmark for both of us. Because obviously 
uh, my documentary has come as far as it's come mm. and then your film has come as far as it's come and uh, I think it would be a really good opportunity to take stock to see considering what we were talking about on episode one yes to episode 30 because um, although maybe the plan that we had back then isn't exactly the plan that has manifested in a way we've got two for the price of one because we were talking about making a film together yeah. uh, back then you know as a sort of a DIY project a kind of a, almost like a, a experiment in chaos magic as it yeah. just start yeah. get going and actually 30 episodes in and we're now potentially at two films yes. that we've made um, which I think is pretty fabulous to celebrate because um, it's well it's proof that the magic has worked in some way yeah and we're not there yet there's still a long way to go there's still uh, finishing to be done on my film and raising some money for archive costs and, and the like and there's still some raising money for your film to mm. to do the last batch of shooting and then hopefully get it into post-production but um, it shows yeah. you put the, put the effort and energy in you cast the magic spell <laughs> yeah. the DIY magical spell and you can make something yeah. and hopefully by the end of this year we'll both be able to show that thing in some way to public well I think that's a brilliant idea I think the 30th episode is a great opportunity to take stock on what has been quite a productive year yeah. but I think a couple of years you know, yeah. in the build up to um, and certainly yeah it's quite amazing that our, our plans uh, were warped and changed but, but were kind of fruitful in really surprising ways that we weren't quite expecting it's, it's somehow that's part of the chaos part of it, isn't it? Hundred you know, percent. Yeah. The chaos magic side of it, I think, is it keeps coming back uh, in my thoughts. As in, you keep rolling the dice and you go somewhere between the one and the six yeah. each time. And generally, you're heading a direction. You're heading a direction. That's the kind of the drive you have to make a film, to get something finished, to make creative projects a reality. And but you've got to keep rolling the dice because. We don't have infinite budgets. We don't have any budgets, in fact, really. So you've got to go with whatever the opportunities that are that arise, and um, and uh, and just keep pushing forward. Keep uh, keep kind of going from step to step, and then seeing where that ends up. And that may well be a different uh, path than you expected. And in fact, yeah. it's quite obviously that it is. Yeah. Um, but as long as you still have that kind of drive of like we've got to keep making, keep doing, keep keep going forwards, and then keep seeing where the opportunities are that you've discovered, and okay, well we weren't we were, we were planning to go that way, but this way is very fruitful too, and so I think in some ways it's um, this is part of the chaos, part of the yeah. magic. <laughs> we we found a, a path that is um, equally exciting and in some ways more exciting because we've got. Yeah, we've got two projects. Yeah, going. and in the and in the case of the old man, it was that we kind of hit brick walls in the in terms of routine. Maybe became too ambitious and expensive and out of our league currently as we stood. Yeah, when trying to put a film together on very little money, but you know, and then out of that kind of gear change and desperation, something else kind of happens yeah. that has turned out maybe better or bigger than I was perceiving at first. I was perceiving it as a web series that maybe we would do very low-key just to kind of test the ground and stuff. And now it seems like it's turned into 
uh, feature film, which was kind of uh, not what we were kind of banking on at all. At yeah. But in some ways, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, the, the DIY rules that we kind of thought about uh, back then, which was, you know, do something all in one sort of physical location yeah. and keep it quite kind of small. Don't try to go to lots of different places. Well, we've both broken those fucking rules completely. <laughs> you literally went to the top of a fucking mountain. <laughs> I know. It was Let's go to the most annoying place to get to. You can possibly... You know. Let's, I remember us looking at the map going, right, so that's four hours to there and then another two and a half hours up that hill. And Jesus, God. But you did it. And that's the thing. is then did it, but I remember thinking, this isn't what we planned. This isn't, this isn't what we said on the podcast to do. No, no, this no. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's part of the rules that we should, we should amend. Because, of course, you, cause as with all Chaos Magic, you've got to keep changing the rules. Yes. Because there's no, cause there's no one uh, rule that works for everything. Part of the rule is... Uh, I don't know how many rules do we create. I can't remember. Well, well, I how think, many do we I have? Think, Ten? Well, I think no. part of the whole chaos magic thing is that you kind of have to break even the rules that you should set break up for the yourself. Rules that you've established. So, yeah. for, for example, yes, don't have lots of locations and lots of actors and lots of difficulties or yeah. that will blow your budget unless you, up. Unless you do. But at the same, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you also need to go to places to shoot where maybe you can grab a little hold of a little bit of magic yeah. and that's in places like top of mountains on a coast in the middle of a forest at night yeah. these weird places where um, you know you'll have this kind of magic that will kind of imbue your film and, produ and heighten yeah. your production value and so that that's kind of thing Oh, that's I think what we were doing and but yes it did go against all of those rules that we kind of set out for yeah. ourselves early on but, it, but in some ways you still I mean you're dead right about location location is one of those things that unfortunately it's usually one of the most expensive aspects of making a film um, because you know you can't you generally it's very hard to blag it unless you own it or somebody yeah. you know owns it um, but uh, what you did was you found a way to do it there and it didn't sound like it was entirely easy as in you weren't yeah. the only people on that mountain but it, it gives you a, a ton of uh, value that you didn't you wouldn't have had inside a, a comedy venue no in a black box somewhere or a yeah. studio somewhere as in you just have to look at some of the rushes and go oh wow it looks like yeah. a movie and I think that's so uh, powerful, uh, and, you know, particularly kind of elevating it beyond something that is on the page to something that that people would, would think of as being cinematic and all these kind of things. It, you know, you just look at some of the shots, and you know, I think your choices and Rami's shooting has made it look like a movie from the small amounts that I've seen. Um, so. For sure, you know, break the fucking rules. <laughs> because sometimes... Don't listen to a word we're saying. Don't listen to a word. Listen to all the episodes, of course, because it's deep, deep wisdom. Uh, but be prepared to completely ignore it if something better comes along. <laughs> well, as it turned out, we were able to get Rami on the phone and we were able to chat with him you know Aaron and myself and Rami all together all three of us so what follows is um, our chat with Rami uh, on one of his nights off uh, from his shoot uh, it starts off with just me and Rami on the phone Aaron joins later but without further ado here is our chat with our one and only our very own 
DOP of the old man Rami Bartholdi. So, Rami, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I, I realise I don't, I don't want to keep you up too late tonight because I realise a you've got your little baby there, and b you are on a shoot at the moment. What's the what? What are you shooting currently? I'm uh, working on a BBC comedy drama, and um, it's called Black Ops. It's actually really good. Um, I think it's like an original idea, mm. original series. Uh, some some groundbreaking thoughts behind it, and the humour in it is actually really smashing. Oh, fantastic! Uh, yeah, it's very rewarding to watch. So I really hope for the filmmakers and the lead actor and actress um, that um, that it would take them to another place because because they deserve it. I, I laughed a lot watching it through the monitors and stuff. And uh, oh, nice! Yeah, it's cool. It must make a difference when you're doing something that's funny, I guess, rather than something that's a heavy drama when you're having to work long hours, would you say? Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I think whether it's humour or whether it's a good script, you know, mm. whatever the, the content is, when you feel like you're doing something that that has an impact, you know, that, that moves you when you even watch it being recorded or, or capturing it, then yeah. you kind of get a feeling that, yeah, it's, it's worth your time in the long run, you know, it's going to be... It's going to be something other people will enjoy, you know, and that's that's nice. Of course, yeah. it's, it's ultimately what it's all about, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, how are the hours been so far? How long, how long are you on it for? How long is the shoot for? And this is a six-week shoot, so these are short episodes. Um, right. A little bit like my friend Mark Hartman, who's going to make <laughs> a like a mini-episode thing, like six, six mini-episodes of half an hour. And... Um, and uh, so effectively it's like an episode a week that we're shooting so it's quite a relentless pace but um i think we're getting some great things and and uh, we have a great director and and a great dop uh, i'm i'm the technical assistant on this one mm. and um and um yeah i still enjoy you know being an aspiring dop and, and having shot a few things i still you know um, enjoy being working with others and see how they perceive things and how they approach their projects and absolutely uh, you know support them in, in achieving what they need you know absolutely so, yeah this is is great and um yeah this is is i hope secretly that this is a little gem it's a it's funny oh fantastic it deserves to be elevated yeah Oh, fantastic. Well, you, you mentioned, you alluded to um, the old man just then, and we, I, me and you started talking about that project a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and as you alluded to just then, it wasn't even a feature film at the start, was it? It was a web series, right? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so and, and, and you, were quite, you were quite instrumental well in just the development of the script as I was writing it too, because um, I was giving you kind of copies I mean, uh -huh. maybe five or six drafts ago when it was a seven part series. Right. So, I mean, I've, I've, yeah. jo I've joked with Aaron about this, that we kind of started making a feature film almost by accident. You know, we'd gone so far <laughs> down the road, developing it, <laughs> developing the characters, developing the script. And at the last minute we were like, we think this is a feature film, yeah. <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you surprised me by turning it into a feature film script. Um, mm. You know, it's, it's I expected another draft of the uh, of the series when you, you said actually <laughs> I condensed it into one. 
But um, <laughs> but I was really positively surprised. I mean, I always loved the idea of the miniseries, and obviously mm. it's a formula that's becoming more popular out there in the in the internet-based, uh, you know, uh, digital platforms. You know, uh, like the one I just mentioned. You know, six half-an-hour episodes. I worked on another thing called Cheetahs, which also came out on BBC, being short uh, yeah. episodes and stuff. So I thought, yeah, you got like the right idea here with the making that kind of short format. Yeah, it was uh, actually drama. it was like. Yeah, it was actually, you inspired me quite a lot when we chatted like that, because at the start, I hadn't really seen that many, apart from some online things or maybe some BBC Three mini things, episodic things. Yeah. I yeah. hadn't seen too many things of that nature, and I wasn't even sure if I was doing the right thing. But then you started, you you yourself was working on Cheetahs, and mm. uh, which were, you know, the high production values, great crews, great cast, but they were just making things that were episodic and shorter episodes and I thought that was yeah. kind of it's kind of going that way isn't it there's kind of a form for that now yeah I mean so the producer of that told me that you know the reason being is a lot of people there's so much content out there and a lot of people do have families and very limited time so you you're like what can I squeeze in for an evening and also yeah. you look at this one and it's like it looks funny on the trailer and, and it's only half an hour and the idea is once you watch half an hour you watch the other half an hour you know but mm. you you're not put off about the fact that you're about to engage in a six-hour marathon, so to yeah. speak, you know, it's just something quick and cheerful, and uh, and they were trying to create that format to appeal for people like myself with babies and whatnot that maybe not have that kind of time. You know, what do you do when you sit down in the evening? Do you have enough to watch a whole hour? Are you gonna yeah get through it? You know, you're gonna fall asleep. You're gonna so fall asleep, basically. Yeah, that's my problem. That's the, that's, that was the thought from the producer on Cheetahs told me that that's the thought behind these things, like the short mm. form of drama. So when you came up with this idea for the old man, I thought, yeah, this sounds like something that could probably hit home somewhere, you know? Ah, oh, fantastic. So tell me but, about you yourself, Rami. When, when was the first, kind of casting your mind back, when was the first time you, you can see the kind of kickoff point for you getting into camera work, photography or cinema in general? Well, it's weird, but it's actually a bit of a revelation in, 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 in my school years when mm. I was actually, I was, I was a borderline punk, I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> I had so little idea what I wanted to do with myself and my life, yeah. and I was literally just, I was just living it up day by day without any idea what the future brings. and. You know, eventually they led to me crashing out of several schools and, you know, having to start other ones and trying that new courses to get onto, you know, yeah. education ladder and, and open up my future for me. But I was just not able to concentrate for very long on very many things. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so in, in my late school years on A-levels, I must have been about 18, 19, and I was facing the barrel of being chucked out of school again. I knew I had to do something. I remember I saw some people working on a film course, and I thought, actually, this looks really nice. There's something about it I really liked, and there was a side subject you could pick at school. So after I left um, that school, unfortunately not by my own choice, um, I, I, um, I redid a year at a different school with not the same crowd around me and concentrated my life a bit more on a pick film and television as a subject. Mm. And I had a really good teacher who was just really inspiring and all of a sudden opened up this whole vision of how powerful the media is as a tool to explain, to express, 
how you know the practicality of 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 the framing images can really enhance or dehance or you know do whatever yeah. needs to do in order to bring uh, a line on the, the part of the story that they wanna that they wanna express you know mm. and um, and that was where I really caught on I just I just I just clicked with you yeah it just clicked with me yeah yeah and um, and uh, always been a keen photographer I've done lots of painting and drawing and all of that throughout my life and um, and yeah I had. I saved some money. I went to Australia with a friend. We we had a mission for seven years and we were going to die the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. And we went. And I knew as soon as I came back from that, I just wanted to get on and, and do film work. And uh, effectively, that's how I started. Yeah. Fantastic. Because when, yeah. when we met, when we were about, I don't know how old we were, not 18, 19 or, 19 or something in there. Um, and mm -hmm. so we were working in Soho. We were both running at different companies. We were kind of running at the same company for... We work in the same company for a time. Yeah, I came into your company after uh, after my first company I worked in. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 then you were kind of you were kind of bitten with the film back then, weren't you? You were trying to find ways. Were you were trying to were you trying to get into the camera department, or were you still not sure where what area you no, wanted to get into? No, I actually knew that I wanted to do camera, but um, right. It it it's I came back from that journey to Australia from Australia, and um, and uh, I was traveling for nearly a year, 11 and a half months. I was gone. I was mm. meant to travel for six months, but yeah, we ended up staying out there for a year. Mm. Um, when I came back, I started working in Denmark, where I lived, you know, on various mm. projects. And I was like a location manager for a low budget feature. And I did some art department. And I ended up on a uh, something called XTV in my borough of Lyngby, North Copenhagen. And, and, nice. and it was like, a, yeah, that's where I got my hands on cameras. And I started making a few programs with cameras. But it was all for free. There was no money in it. And the Danish yeah. film industry at the time was quite small. So I was literally trying to pursue this career, but at the same time having to do side jobs, you know. I did like substitute teaching. I was uh, I worked in kindergartens and you know, wow. nurseries and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> to make a living and, and then, yeah. you know, went out on the XTV to do camera work and you know, it's obviously quite tiring trying to run two jobs and you know the emphasis that you have to put into learning and uh, about cameras and TV is is quite big. You know, so you come out there tired and, and you try and do that. You know, it's, it was pretty tricky, but I tried and I tried. And then from the journey we made in Australia, my friend fell in love with an English girl who used to work in post production in London, and she was in Denmark with him at the time. And she right. said, "Listen, they're looking for runners in my old post production in that Soho Square." Uh, why don't you send your CV and uh, I'll see if they can make sure they look at it. And it's like, that's a good idea. I never thought about London. Yeah. So I sent my CV to Nats Post Production in Soho Square. She phoned her friend Louise and said, could you make sure you have a look at this guy? And she was like, yeah, yeah, sure. The CV's here and stuff. And I tried to knock them up for like, you know, months and months and there's anything. And they're like, no, nothing, nothing. And in the end, I just took like a trip to London and stayed with one of her friends. And then I called up Max and said, listen, I'm here. Can I come and speak to you? And on the last day, I actually accidentally, I was going to fly home on a Monday, but the ticket was too expensive, so I booked it for a Tuesday. And then they were like, actually, can you come in and speak to us on Monday? So I went in and talked to them, and um, and um, it all seemed really well and fine, and that's not a problem for another Danish because of the youth. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, my English was kind of good, you know, because Danes have a fairly very good English. Obviously. You guys have got good English, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it, it didn't seem like an obstacle. Yeah. I didn't actually hear from them for like two months, two and a half months. It took 
And I thought, that's the dead dog. It's just never going to happen. Yes. I just start thinking in another direction. And all of a sudden, one random day, this phone call, I said, hey, it's uh, Andy or whoever from that sports production, and you know, you've got a free position as a runner. Do you, when can you start? And it's like, oh, I've got a bit of work done this week. And it's like, what about next Monday? It's like, yeah, fine. And it's like, okay. Well, that was then. it. You're oh, off. That was it. <laughs> I went upstairs to tell my parents, like, oh, I'm going to London. It's like, well, what are you going to do there? I'm going to be a runner. What <laughs> is that? I don't know. You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Because I know the place we used to work at, Ancient Pocket, we'd get to go out, you know, if we were running, we'd get to go out and shoots an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, different film shoots and what have you. And so I guess when you were going out on the shoots yourself as a runner, were you then kind of a, a latching yourself onto camera departments there on in gaining experience wherever yeah. you could? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in Nets post-production for a year and three months. And, you know, I had shot a few videos at home. And when I got mm. there, I said I wanted to be an editor. And I, I taught myself how to use the equipment, you know, with, with some of the local self. But, yeah, I always knew I wanted to do camera and and and. At some point, um, this job opportunity came up at the English and Pocket. Mm. And the golden carrot for me was that somebody told me, well, we do lots of film shoots and everything mm. is shot on 35 millimeter film, yeah. sometimes 16 mil, but that was like the, the, the flagship uh, yeah. camera format at the time. That was the most lucrative you could shoot on. That was the highest uh, resolution format, yeah. the yeah. best looking stuff. And I was like, wow. If I get to go and shoot like that and meet camera people, that's the direction I want to go. And that's why I said yes to English in Pocket. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. I met people like Sam McCurdy, Joe Dyer, and um, Tony May. Tony May, uh, yes. And uh, Bob, obviously. Bob, Bob, um, Bob Pender Hughes, yeah. Bob Pender Hughes. And, um, and uh, yeah, and, and through Joe Dyer, his focus puller, Paul Mackay, took me on to trainee and some short films. He said, you need a bit more experience. And right. that's how I met Harry Sampalugas, who I later went on to shoot, uh, uh, become a key camera loader for him on the, on the testifying acts. So a lot of the bigger films you did later on, they, they were yeah. through contacts you made really early on back my then. First, wow. My first feature film in Britain as a camera trainee mm. was on the death. No, that was on the, the Descent, it was called. It's called Crawl right. Spies when we made it, but it's called The Descent. Mm. And uh, uh, the producer, Christian Colton, is the one that produced uh, Slumdog Millionaire. I think right. The Descent was one of the most successful low-budget films that was made at the time in Britain. And, you know, I remember reading this script with about six girls that goes into a cave and they get eaten by monsters, you know? You're like, what the yeah, hell? yeah. You're watching the suspense, the build-up, you know, the intensity of the caves, all of that. Yeah, it's just yeah. groundbreaking. And... Uh, that was uh, Sam McCurdy, who I met at English and Pocket. Your training in, ter in, in terms of camera and everything, it's all come through work, right? It's all come through working in the industry. Right. So, yeah. All of it. That's amazing. Maybe take it it's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> and and this, what I really took with me from post-production is the mm. ability to make a really good cover tea. <laughs> yes, I completely agree with you. And I, 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 I just match people to pieces when they stand out there in the cold and the oh rain man. and you're serving the right stuff. They're like, yeah, this guy. 
I, I remember i remember <laughs> i was so i was so i don't think i've ever been good at making tea i was better at making tea then than i am now i have unfortunately mm. i've let my my standards slip but i remember uh, i used to pride myself on making brilliant tea because that's the way you broke through right you kind of broke yeah, ice yeah, with, with yeah, the higher end crew yeah, members yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I can remember bob pender hughes <laughs> i remember bob pender hughes i remember handing him a cup of tea once he's a deep uh, listeners he's a a big uh, director of photography who was obviously very influential to Rami in his career and is a brilliant commercials uh, DOP, very, 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 very sought after, uh, incredibly talented man. But I gave him a cup of tea and he went, that is the best cup of tea I've, I've ever had. And he pointed at me, <laughs> he, he, pointed, he, pointed, he pointed at me and shouted across to the crew, goes, this man makes an amazing cup of tea. And I was like, yes, I've done it. I've done it. Success is a good day. It's a good day. You should have gone in the camera route. <laughs> should have gone in the camera. Yeah. I never got in with Bob Pender Hughes. You know, not good enough at the time. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, yes, yes. So, so tell me a little bit about you starting to make ways into the feature film kind of area. So it was it was camera trainee stuff to start and then built up from there. Is that right? Yeah, basically, basically. Mm. So I stayed. I was. I just literally did whatever came my way, and. Um, Ironically, from my time in Engli in, in Nat's post production and English in Pocket, I actually ended up being the in-house video editor at uh, English in Pocket. They gave me they gave me a course in um, standard broadcast technology, so I learned right. about you know the basics for you know uh, TV signals, uh, coloring, yes. you know sound levels, yeah. and all of that. And I ended up being compiling all of their uh, outgoing tapes for for. Ever sending out to anybody, you know, whether they had competitions or if they wanted to promote their stuff or somebody had to see a job, you know, you had to stick it on a theta uh, SP or digibeta and it had to have yeah. you know, a one hour time code and it had to come in with like 30 seconds of bars and and then it had to have a clock and the right, you know, audio levels and all of that shit. That was a, yeah. All of that stuff I compiled for them. Yeah. They gave me that course, understood how to do it. And yeah. uh, I, I just produced all these tape for them. And, and later on, uh, the managing director, James Roberts, is like, I don't think you realize how much money you saved me here. Because <laughs> <laughs> they used to go to a red post production around the corner to get all oh, these really? things. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so they had a really, you know, they said you can use the equipment as much as you like. And, you know, so yeah. I learned how to edit and I start doing showreels as well for camera people and for all sorts of people, you know. Right. So I met like um, I met a guy called John Hembra, the Steadicam operator. Right. And um, and I compiled his showreel back in the days. Uh, but what that later became was when I was out as a trainee, my name all of a sudden flew around with some really yeah. good people who would mention me to other people, you know, and saying, oh, you should check this guy out. And they basically just let me slowly but steady towards getting into bigger and better drama and i think i always like loaded on short films i did a lot of mm. loading up at the nfts uh, helping on their uh, graduation films up there yeah and uh, even start focus pulling up there on, on the on the shoots you know a lot of them were 16 mil some of them were digipeters and um, <clears throat> some of the DOPs with them went out and did a lot of jobs with but yeah know, yeah i've always stayed humble and stayed you know even though i knew how to load and even focus pull a bit I kind of sold myself as a trainee and I eventually mm. got in and did a job called, I think Rosa Maloney, it was called. Uh, oh, ITV I remember thing. that. Yeah. Yeah. That was my that. first kind of, uh, that was my first kind of major, major TV drama mm. uh, as a trainee. And it was all on 16 millimeter film, you know, and I was like yeah. flagship stuff. And what that did was open up doors that, you know, 
that's how it all started. And because mm -hmm. I had all these camera skills already from the short films and for a lot of things I've been doing, I came in there staying humble. People were like, they, yeah. you know, have no expectations of you. And all of a sudden you can pull things off more than just a cup of tea. And yes. they're like, you know, it just escalated from there. I did Rosa Maloney. I did a Vida Sin Pet Christmas special. I uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I ended up doing a Hustle Series 2. Oh, yeah, Hustle. Spooks, yeah, yeah. Spooks Series 3 and Motor Series 4. That's where I broke through from being a camera trainee to become a clever loader that was in Spook Series 4. Right, right. Yeah. And then when did the... So so the TV stuff was kind of getting more... You, I mean, it was, it's already high-end, but your job, your job responsibility is going up and up. And then when did you break through into features or did that happen... Yeah, but then, uh, you know, I got a little bit of a chance of it, but there were very tricky places to break in because I was yeah. doing a really experience. So I can't remember, I think uh, Crawl Space, uh, The Descent was in 2005. So it was one of my first training experiences. Right. Um, and that came in the winter in December. When did that happen? I think I was working on something called The Dream Team, which was... Uh, oh, yeah, the football thing. Yeah, I did that for yeah, a long yeah. time, actually. But no, then I'd grow into Spooks and Hustle, and I think I think the same came after that. It came up one winter where we went to Scotland for two weeks. I was on the second unit trainee, and we had two cameras in that unit and four people, and I literally ended up right. focus pulling for the uh, focus puller who was operating while the operator was operating and the loader was focus pulling for him, you know, because <laughs> we, we were so busy. Like, we just had to do one setup and move on, you know, to get more coverage. Right. Because in Scotland, December, in the woods, you know, it's just not enough light for the film stuff. No. You know, it's like nothing. So it was a really full-on and great experience. And I made a great focus puller called uh, Ashley Bond. Yeah. Who was like, you know what, you're good, but you need a bit more experience. So, you know, he, he threw my name out in a few places and took me along to a few things. So I did another kind of uh, second unit edition of photography in a film called Keeping Mum. Which again yeah. was a great DOP called Gavin Finney. And uh, a great experience at the time, you know. So I, I slowly got in to do some of the bigger things. Yes. But not the whole thing, just parts of it. But then coming back to the TV drama with a little bit of that experience, I kind of became better and better. And as yeah. I said, on, on, on Spooks Series 4, I got promoted to B-Camera Loader. And then they changed the DOP and the director quite often from block to block. And just as I got promoted, um, the main team went on with it with their DOP to another shoot and all of a sudden I became the A camera loader for a brand new DOP and a brand new focus puller I never wow. met but I was so in the motion of everything because I had moved up from a trainee and I didn't tell them I just moved up I just thought either you do it or you don't you just yeah. have to you know <laughs> <laughs> he's got to get ready to hit the ground your feet yeah, are going digga, exactly. digga, digga, digga. <laughs> and I, had the, I had a trainee at the time Jake Thomas he's a stills photographer now he's a great fella I'll never forget him and uh, i just fucking drilled him into everything new. you know it's gonna be like this it's gonna be like this because it was a D it was a dop called nick morris he was from the bsc he's still from the bsc well hang on hold on there hold on there Romy. we've got aaron about to come in oh let wow me, let me just bring aaron in never wait for permission you just have to start mark and i've been following how would you describe it mark chaos magic chaos, chaos magic Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing? It's Rami. It's hello. Rami. <laughs> Where is Rami? 
I'm at home. You're at home. Yeah, in yeah. London. Yeah, yeah. How are you, Aaron? What's been going on? What's, how are you? Uh, I've been uh, trying to stay alive in the sweltering oh, heat. Yeah. It's not, not easy. Uh, boiling away in the studio, <laughs> cooking like a lobster. Uh, uh, yeah, oh. and trying to trying to be productive somehow as well, but not you know. Yeah, being productive in this heat is not the one, is it? It's, it's not easy. Doesn't really work as well. No, this definitely doesn't work as well. But um, we're here anyway. We're here. We are here. Yeah. I was just I was just chatting to Rami Aaron about his first uh, kind of stepping ups in the industry and TV, and it, Rami was just kind of explaining to me how it was kind of it's almost like it happened. It's almost like you had one one foot on a rung in TV that pushed you up, then one foot on a rung in film, and that kind of it's almost like it kind of happened. It kind of, they kind of helped each other and fed into each other. Rami kind of sounds like exactly, exactly. Mm. On that on that last um, shoot I was talking about when I just moved on to the A cam on on the, on the Spook Series Four, and we had Nick Morris coming in and a guy called Rob Dibble, and you know I just worked my ass off and made sure everything was right and corrected all the mistakes they were pointing out and just made the mm. best I could out of it and and walked away from it and didn't get any criticism, thinking that was pretty good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> One to be proud of. And uh, out of the blue, shortly after, I get a call from some line producer saying I've been put forward for a job in Prague, fifteen weeks, if I was interested. And uh, that was my first breakthrough as a I'm a major feature. I was became the A camera clever load on a film called Hannibal Rising, wow, shot by Ben yes. Davis, yes. produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Wow. Yes. So, so, <laughs> so was that a? I mean, was that a very notice, noticeable step up in every way in terms of scale yeah, and everything? Yeah. yeah. Mm. We're talking about what? I don't know. Fifteen. I don't know. Maybe fifteen to twenty odd million pounds mm. at the time. Or shot in Prague, so you get more for the money. I mean, Dino De Laurentiis, I'm sure I don't, you know about him. I think he produced all of uh, uh, the direct Lynch. Yeah, I think the he did God, all Lynch film. Yeah, the God I Lynch. Mean, the, the, yeah. Our, yeah. Our, all of our creative artistic uncles, the God mm. Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Dino De Laurentiis, I mean, looking what was relentless. I mean, there's so much, you know, and he sadly passed away now, but he was quite senior at the time. And as somebody told me, you know, it's uh, you know, it's quite lucky that I get a chance to work on something like that. But yeah, yeah, that was a breakthrough thing, not just in terms of credit, but also in terms of experience. I mean, I, I should arguably not have been there had it been the first choice of uh, the cameraman and his focus puller, but I was there. I did meet them. I did get through it. I learned so much. It was unbelievable. And, um, and uh, I also got something behind me that, you know, established me for for life in this, in this business. yeah and then from there did those wheels get greased quite e easily or or did you find yeah, yourself no i mean it's just, that's the thing then you know i, I that other great focus pull ashley bond that took me on mm. to the early stages of thing he put me forward for doing some trinians and then because i wasn't a girl uh, i wasn't allowed they wanted the girl loader oh really yeah okay. but that that would maybe have been my okay another a camera film you know as a loader you know that would have been something yeah. where the ball would be rolling and all of a sudden i was out and mm. i wasn't in with the, the dop from hannibal rising he did, went on to do stardust or something with with all their own crew and everything you know and right i didn't really suck up to them for one reason or another and tried to get in there uh, so i was kind of left behind a bit so i ended up i can't remember what i did immediately after but i did a lot of smaller jobs but with the experience mm. i had I came across so much better on set. I became yeah. a much better asset to a lot of more people. So I just start meeting people uh, randomly, and, and very, wherever I went out, I all of a sudden became a, 
valuable technical asset and yeah. um, and and it really helped me move forward so in that sense i I always found a way and found jobs, but I have also always been bouncing between very small random jobs. Sometimes yeah. jobs not paid, but where I take a step up and focus or, mm. you know, I, 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 when I did Hannibal writing, I actually got the editor out there to, to put together a short film that I shot beforehand, you know, so while I was doing all of this assisting, I always shot my own things on the side mm. and I met some great people on various shoots that helped me put things together and, and really from there onwards, you know, also being known in the camera rental houses, you know, when you come out and ask favors, people yeah. look at lenses. I shot other short films. I'll get like a set of cooks, like expensive lenses and, you know, track and all sorts of things for like next to nothing from the camera rental houses because they wanted to support you because they're seeing you and the bigger things. They could see you yeah. handling all of this kit. So all of a sudden, you just open a lot of doors and, and um, yeah. It's, it's of... funny how it works incrementally. Like what you're describing is it's all about it's not just about uh, the next stages of your career in terms of stepping up, but it's all these connections you make and all these kind of personalities you make and your, and your relationships with them. You know, you have a hundred percent. And I'm yeah. being, uh, and I say relationships on a very honest level. It's all about trust, right? Yeah. 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 No, it is. It is. And, and it's also about, cause I always, I never, I always wanted to be friendly with everybody, but I also realize you can't be friendly with everybody. It's not everybody yeah. you click with, you, you know, that part of it is also a learning curve that, uh, that is, you know, it's just not every place that's for you or not everybody wants you. They have other ways of thinking and yeah. and, and working and different banter, different level of communication. And, and, and that's just the way it is. It's okay. And to learn that bit was arguably one of the hardest because you always become very hard on yourself if you don't get in somewhere where you're trying to get in. But actually, in time, you realize it's not necessary because you don't have the ability to do the job there. It just means you're not meant for that crowd. Yeah, you don't, you, you don't, you don't fit into that particular case yeah. or whatever, what have you. Yeah, exactly. But there's a thousand other places or hundreds or one yeah. place that you can go instead. You know, but there yeah, are places yeah. for you where you click and you're more, you know, where where you move forward. And I think the key for me has always been that I always try my best not to be ousted. And even when I had a hard time, is just do a, make sure the job is so well done that nobody mm. can put a finger on the job. If yeah. they have a personal problem with you, so be it. But don't have a problem with what you're doing. And I guess that's how I build my my expertise yeah. the most. important well i mean is, is is you talked a little bit about doing you know these in between projects these kind of <clears throat> things where you step up where you do things for free these kind of no budget kind of things how how mm. important is that side of it both for sort of building up your skill but your network what what's we'll talk a bit a little bit about that as a sort of 
DIY podcast, I suppose, that side of it is particularly interesting. No, but it, it's actually, it's everything. Again, as I said, you know, you build up the contacts to, to put people together to come out and help you. That's a major thing. You help somebody on their shoot, they come and help you and you. So all of a sudden you have, you need a team. You know, nothing can be done by yourself. You need to mm. build teams. So that's that's been a major thing, just to connect with other people and make things. Um, it's also about... Every time you go out and do something, you, you stand there on sets and you look at people doing things, you're like, oh, I can do that, I can do that. All of a sudden you get put on the hotspot and there's so many things to think about. You think about, you forget about the most basic things. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you realize how difficult it is to, to lead, not to have somebody to answer to or, or do something that you're told, but actually create it and, 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 and suck everybody in so they're on the same page as where you want to take them. That kind of uh, leadership, you, you just realize it's really difficult. And I think by doing your own thing, so slowly, slowly start to build more, mm. uh, what do you say, assertiveness mm -hmm. Yeah. to understand how to utilize the practical things you learned mm. so you yeah. get the best result out of what you're trying to do, you know? Yeah. And that, that's been a major in doing my own things on the side. Definitely. You mm. know, when you're a clever loader, you write down camera sheets, mm. you know, all the lenses, all the filters. All the white balance, all the film stock, everything like now is white balance and video cameras. But you know, the film stock you're using, what filters were used to correct and also get this kind of look, you see all of that. So you know how it's created. What, what you end up seeing on TV, you, you know exactly what lies behind it. Mm. And obviously as well, shooting your own things and then coming into a shoot as an assistant, having taken that experience of standing there by yourself, it creates some new questions like, well, how do you do this lighting deal? How do you do that? Do you know what I mean? Your, your question or what you become inquisitive about becomes deeper and more technical. Yeah. You go to a DOP that you assist really well, that you do a hard job for, and you all of a sudden stand around and have a nice cup of tea. You say, you ask him questions like, oh, so yeah. this situation, what are that? And all of a sudden somebody starts to give you some deeper knowledge, you know? That's yeah. how you, yeah, you start to understand more things, and, that, and that, that's been brilliant. And that's purely by doing your own things that you ask better questions from exactly. some very good okay, people. Yeah. You stand next to some very good DOPs or some give you some golden advice about lighting and, and combinations of camera settings or mm. filters or whatever, or just approaches to how to capture this scene or that scene or what, what, what do you do here and why do you put so much time in here and you know what, how do you balance what's essential and how do you do things quick uh, compared yeah. to when do you know when to to put more time into it and when do you know when to knock things out and all of these little things you become inquisitive about and standing next to great people getting these kind of answers and everybody will give you answers if you work hard for them you know they will they will, they will share their knowledge you know we were chatting on our shoot rami about and you were saying that you kind of reached the apex of that what you're talking about that kind of listening in or being involved uh, in conversations when you were focus pulling is that right after a take the dop and the director would come and come to your monitor no, and then they'd literally yeah. stand around you and discuss the shot and how they can improve it, what problems they're uh, having. But I never thought of it until mm. years after. But exactly that. I mean, when you're a clever loader, you get sent out to get things. But when yeah. you're a focus puller, you're always next to the camera. Yeah. And I realized after a long time that, yeah, every single conversation that has any meaning on this shoot happens around camera. You know, if somebody... <laughs> they kind of, they got, they kind of huddle around you and have it. You no, know? but it's almost like camera's got this cutest, you know, you don't get a lot of people around it because it's technical equipment, it's got yeah. power, it's, you know, it's sensitive. So, you know, you always have people away from the camera because, you know, on ice creams and teas and coffees or people chatting where, you know, you make decisions, you know, it's kind of a, a holy space, you know, where it's a really yeah. kind of strict working area. And you only really want to hear the director and the DOP talking, you know, you don't want to chit chat around that space, you know, it's all about what decisions are made for 
moving your project forward and all of this, you know. So you, yeah, you find actually that the producer will also come up and have, hey, what about tomorrow when we're here and, you know, next week we're doing this and that, you know. So all, before you know it, I just realized as you stand next to all the kind of the, the, the epicenter of decision making for any film <laughs> quite <laughs> often have. Of course, there's a meeting and people agree to have a meeting, but a lot of it happens around there. So after Hannibal Rising, what was the next big kind of feature production you found yourself working on? No, but as I said, you know, I got let down by Centrinians, but mm. I think I came in and did a few dailies. So I did a few dailies and a few things. Um, I ended up doing, as I said, I was doing uh, the Dream Team for quite a long time. And I went off to do one of the other dramas, I think Spooks or Hustle or something. Mm. Uh, and they offered me to be an operator, actually, for the following season, to come in and try that, to be a camera operator. That's obviously a good step. But at the same time, I got offered to do a B camera on the Death Defying Axe, which was shot by Harry Sabalukas, which had Timothy Spall, uh, Catherine Caesar Jones, and uh, Guy Pierce, the Australian guy playing Houdini. And it was shot on 35mm anamorphic Panavision C series. Uh, if you're wow. into lenses and cameras and stuff, we're talking about one of the most legendary kind of set of lenses. I mean, what they have seen is just surreal. I'm actually thinking one day to do a documentary. If you take the camera seats and shoots where you have the CCs, yeah. you can pick each shot from each film that certain lenses have seen and just do a compilation. Like, what do they have in common? They've been shot ah, by the yeah. 28 mil, uh, if they sort of thing, the Panavision CC. Yeah, and yeah. Of, you know? uh, it's phenomenal. I mean, they've been through, I don't know when they were creative, but we're talking back to the 50s or 60s or something. Mm -hmm and uh, major Hollywood pictures, all of it's been showing these things. However, so that was a big thing. That was a whole project, again, where I was on B camera travel loading, uh, again, with actually one high focus puller. And um, and, uh, and that, was a, that was a great, uh, rich experience. That was the thing where I had a choice to become a camera operator on, on a video show, mm. or to become a travel loader on a big lead the film, yeah. a film. And I knew I always wanted to go cinema. I always wanted to know about that. I knew that, you take those chances when they come, you can arguably always go backwards, but you know, you don't mm -hmm. get many chances like that. And I, I, I took that route. And I must have been maybe in my early 30s, actually, when these happened, or near my 30s. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, um, but I thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. I, I don't care that I'm on a lower level in terms of ranks in the camera department. It's not really the same, you know, as a video TV show or, or feature film, you know. And, and I suppose I at that at that point as well, you'd had a, such a wealth of experience that you felt completely no, confident in that job. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, you never. It's funny you say it because I've, I felt confident, but you never feel hundred percent confident. You always mm. get thrown a bit because you come up across people who's done that part of their career, you know, of jobs, uh, job after job after job after job. So there's always something catching you out. So you never feel hundred percent, but I felt safe enough to take it on, and yeah. and and you know, you learn a lot from it. But that's a there's so many things that can go wrong and you have to be so attentive throughout, you know, and uh, particularly being a loader and dealing with the film stock as well, you know, um, a lot of it about method and, you know, getting into rhythms and do things the same way, but it's physically hard work, it's long hours, it's, it's a long stretch, you get drained and, you know, it really tears on your resources. So it's, yes, I felt great about that job, doing that job when I did it. Um, but, you know, I would never say I stepped onto anything where I felt 100%. Yeah. On top. <laughs> well, I, I suppose there's you, always that thrill. Yeah. There should be a little bit of a mm. thrill. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not worth it, some people might say. 
I mean, things you've obviously seen sort of a transition in the industry away from film. Uh, you were that sort of middle to tail end, I guess, of film and moving into uh, digital. Uh, Talk about clapper loaders. I mean, what does a clapper loader do now? Is there such a thing as a clapper loader? Technically, there's obviously a lot of changes have happened. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's effectively called a second AC because you still need to have, you know, a camera assistance around the camera and to run the camera department and power everything up. You still have to change cards and make sure the data has gone to the right place to be backed up and all of it. So it's still a very prominent position. But there's no doubt I saw it coming as in clever loading is not going to exist for a long time as a very lucrative mm. thing. You could see it on the pay rate, like all of a sudden, you know, Productions were arguing, why should we give you this much? You're not doing all of that work. You're just putting the board on now and putting a card in. You're not loading. And, you know, so it starts going the other way. So I realize you, you know, if you really want to persevere in this new digital era that seems to be coming, take a step up, you know, and that had a big factor of me pushing myself towards focus pooling. Yeah. Because as a clever loader, I started to get in slowly onto bigger and bigger films. As I got more and more experience, you all of a sudden get your name in the hat and some bigger productions again i came out on some bigger productions and, and i did it right and you know your name gets into a hat and you get thrown onto extra cameras and all of this and you know it kind of opens up that big elite uh, that is the british film industry and stuff and start dabbling into it and, and doing well in it as a loader but i realized that you know i'd rather take a step back and become a focus puller on some smaller things and build that because futuristically it's gonna do me better if that makes sense. I don't know if that's correct English, but I think you know what I mean. You know, it's, yeah, uh, no, it does. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. And and quite rightfully, yeah, I took that step a little bit kind of backwards, and because uh, I was given some opportunities to to focus more on some some films, and uh, and um, I got in with a very good uh, young cameraman as well that I ended up, and his director who had ended up doing a lot of projects with high end projects with it. It sounds like your instinct to progress and push yourself into the f film area really paid off. I mean, to be honest, it's all about the storytelling. And obviously, as you know, as well as, you know, you're talking about making your project into a mini episode for TV because that's the thing now, but then it became a feature mm -hmm. film. But mm -hmm. All Out is kind of the same thing. It's like uh, storytelling, this visual mm -hmm. storytelling and trying to make it as good as possible or give it a look or feel and all of that. And uh, yeah, that has been my drive as in my motivation where to push myself towards. And, uh, yeah. and obviously getting deeper and deeper into it towards the position of, of becoming a DOP, which I, I borderline am, I would definitely say. Uh, <laughs> you certainly are. No, but yeah. I, I, found, I, found, I found that a lot with working with you, with you this time on The Old Man, like you were very story and character aware, and yeah. uh, which is a massive help for me when we're kind of putting these things together, because it just means that you're a complete ally in not just visually in the photography of the film, but also uh -huh. in the, even the blocking, the the storytelling, the characters, uh -huh. you were kind of totally there with me. So I, I totally appreciated that. That was a massive, no, massive uh, help. It was great. I mean, I loved it, uh, you know, as you know, and and exactly that is like you, you sent me the script a few times. We had a few chats about a few things, <laughs> you know, and, and when you sent me the feature script and I read it, I was like, yeah this works now you know it's mm. it, it, been condensed the storyline was really well gelled the balance between uh, the characters and the events uh, throughout just seemed to really connect and and you know i'm i've always been a terrible reader since school days you know i just mm. don't read enough of course i can read but it's just you know i didn't really have that encouragement but mm. i picked this up and all of a sudden it flows mm. you can see the story before your eyes and it kind of 
fills you there and you start getting ideas of certain things that could look nice and you know it all starts to bloom inside you but that comes from the script that comes from the pages Have you encountered kind of, um, you know, different styles of DOP? So I guess some DOPs that are more technical, they're more interested in, you know, uh, whatever, uh, you know, flashy shots, things that are just look impressive. And then at the same time, you also encountered DOPs who have no style possibly, but they just, <laughs> uh, you know, that they have, yeah. uh, their focus is entirely on, well, I, I'm going to disappear here. I'm just going to uh, figure out what's the best thing to, to put this script up on the screen. Uh, no, but, but, but definitely as a, as a developer and I work with, you know, as an assistant or travel over some of these really great DOPs and some great shows and stuff. Also did things with a, a, a great friend of mine, Charlotte Bruce Christensen. She came from the NFTS. She's a Danish uh, cinematographer. And um, Charlotte just had a fantastic eye and a really, she wasn't particularly technical. In the early days, she did a lot of her short films and stuff. And we did a lot of things together when she was just out of film school, some film school or just out. And she wasn't very technical. She left me to do a lot of these things, but just her her connection with it was fun to see the IPs with the story. And she always inspired me in that sense where the connection with the story was, was just, mm. she just had that feminine touch, you know, female touch. I don't know, not just, it's not because she's a she, but she just had a really good touch with the story. And I watched her work, which wasn't particularly technical at the beginning, where I went out and saw other, exactly that great deal piece where everything was measured and balanced and you had the right shot, mm -hmm. but the connection with the story just wasn't on the same level. And Charlotte's career has gone like that. And right. if you look at her films, it's actually because she has that connection with the story. And that really inspired me. I realized like, I actually don't need to be like this. Super technical BSE, Supremo, uh, because actually this person is doing just as good, if not better, because there's a different connection with the story. Of course, there's a balance because there's a real hard fine line between having that freedom to do whatever you want to do and also being just like a technical deliver what other people request you to come up with, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's something I learned. But uh, but yeah, there's no doubts that that. <coughs> I aspire to both the technical perfection, but actually like being technical, comprehensive, knowing yeah. enough, and then take that with you into to the visual storytelling, the connection with it is um, is, uh, is is arguably where I also wanted to head. And I'll say I, I have some great aspiration. I always wanted to work with Anthony Dodd-Mantle, which I kind of wrote off because I thought, you know, if I was a clever loader, maybe I could have got into some of the shoots, but I actually ended up working as a focus puller on Vcam on the pistols last year, mm, uh, amazing, uh, yeah. which with Anthony Dodd-Mantle was fantastic. And um, one reason I always liked him is exactly that. He always seems to have a fantastic connection with the story, he always embraced technology mm. and just kind of didn't really have, like, it has to be perfect. Oh, he's technically perfect. He knows the limits of all the different cameras he uses, but he uses them really well in the right place in the story to get the best out of these moments. And I've always been really impressed with that and thought that's a really kind of beautiful and rich approach, you know. And yeah. um, there's a real, there's a real 
joy and almost like a gift, like a reward to be on his film shoot and be with a headset and listening to him throughout the day and follow his way of approaching yeah. stories. It's all about having that, being plugged into that emotional connection rather, you know, not being 100%. too technical. I mean, not, not being, exactly. obviously you have to be, in a way you do have to be technical you to do, the extreme, you do. but it's because you are, you are kind of the most technical job possibly on set in, in a way and uh, so, you, so you have to be there but it's also allowing yourself to have a part of your brain that's completely plugged into the emotion yeah aspect. i mean you you look at the uh, anthony dot mantle he shot festin festin was one yeah. of the first dogma films and it's shot it's on tiny video cameras yeah. it's brilliant and people love it because what they see is just great and all the performance everything is great but the camera's always in the right place like you can you can say what you want about the technicality but it looks like somebody took a video camera and filmed yeah. an event and you feel like you're inside it but yeah it's because you could see all the relevant thing that has to happen for the story to make sense mm. in the image and that's because the camera is placed in the right place and that's yeah. arguably because of his connection with the story understanding yeah. where the director wanted to go with it and what he wanted out of it and mm. knowing what to get and not to get and you know where to put himself in order yeah. to capture that and and i think that says it all about for me that says it all about him and his understanding of the project he approaches because yeah. obviously he's done tons of other films as you know uh, technically far more comprehensive than the dogma films <laughs> obviously they were designed not to be technical comprehensive but uh, he has it all in that sense yeah and, well, um, I, I mean I, I remember just being so affected by festim i absolutely mm -hmm. loved the film and it was yeah. a massive part to his you know to his to his photography of it and obviously you've worked with Thomas Vinterberg as well. You've what? Yeah, yeah, we did the uh, Far from the Madding Crowd actually with Charlotte, the girl I mentioned. Ah, she, okay. She right. shot Far from the Madding Crowd with Thomas Vinterberg, and uh, and I did the B cam on that as well. Yeah. And uh, Ashley Bond, my old focus puller, he was the A camera focus puller, I was the B camera focus puller. And we had a great team, hard work down in Devon for seven, eight, 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 eight to nine weeks or something. Um, yeah, thirty-five millimeter film again. Uh, Panavision. Was it? Uh, was it? Was it all strictly Danish people working on it, or were there some? No, no, no. It's a British, <laughs> British crew. British crew. But I was um, going to say you got your own back for the Saint Trinians, like because you because <laughs> yeah. you couldn't wear a mini skirt and tights on that one. It's like, well, now I'm <laughs> Danish, right? So. Exactly, exactly. I mean, <laughs> no. I mean, obviously knowing Charlotte from for years, and and uh, and uh, and knowing Ashley, one who became the A camera focus puller. Mm. Um, because uh, like these things as well, when there's a certain budget, you have to have a certain name in order to be an A camera, you know, to be the one who leads the technical side of it, which yeah, is yeah. what the camera does. So to be with Ashley, who has that kind of credits behind him and, and, you know, he trained me up and he knew where I was at and, you know, it just gives you a kind of piece to be a part of a team where you don't have to prove yourself, you just go out and yeah. do the job, so to speak, you know, it becomes more of a team effort than anything else and that's a very pleasant environment to be in so that shoot was as hard as it was was a very very joyous place to be amazing to work well you might have answered this already but apart from obviously working on the old man what is your what's the highlight so far do you reckon if there is one if there's one that you can pick out no but actually the old man is <laughs> is still ringing in the top of my memory right now <laughs> <laughs> It does so. No, because when you always wanted to do something and you feel like you go out and you know it, that was a, 
that was quite literally like an uphill struggle, you know. <laughs> we quite easily shouldn't have been there. I mean, you were basically telling me, oh, I don't want to do this. You know, <laughs> my accountant set me up, you know. And you know, this is, I'm not taking this, you know, you have a great yeah. location, you got a great script. If you don't smash this now, it's not going to happen. And, you know, it's just like, no, we need to do this, you know, we just need to do it, you know, otherwise it doesn't happen. And this is DIY cinema the most. And, and I would say then I learned that from my first feature film, Seagull, which yeah. with Peter Blatt, who, who also said, listen, this film is all about just making it. I don't care. I'd, I'd yeah. like it to be like this. This is what we go out and do. But in the end of the day, it's about making a film. Yeah. And I massively respect him and everything we did for putting that together. It's like a phenomenal, phenomenal DIY, homemade, I want to make a feature film, Seagull, is it? it yeah, is, we, should, we, should, we should get Peter onto this podcast. Uh, I would, uh, I, I think he would be good to talk to without a yeah. doubt because uh, he had that desire for years and in the end he can't remember exactly how he get money, you can speak to him about it, but you know, we're talking about 25 to 30,000 pounds. Mm. We took that's affected the shooting budget on Seagull. Yeah, sounds, well, sounds quite good to us, Mark. That doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we but don't... he had a big part of it was it was in Folkestone. Uh, mm. He had a team down there who wanted to help. His uh, wife moved out of their house with their kids for three weeks so he could put everybody up in his own house. Oh, I was right. sleeping in his daughter's bunk bed, you know, and people that <laughs> came down to help would literally just crash out in his house, you know, and um, I mean, there was such amount of positive goodwill and it also had all of these hallmarks that this is never going to happen and people not believing in it, but turned up again with, you know, great connection, great friend, Adam Etherington, who's always supported me, who I, you know, was this young cameraman that I've done uh, a lot of the projects with, Cold Dark and, and uh, one of us up in, in Scotland, you know, he's very supportive, he had a lot of kids and, you know, he lent me uh, uh, Alexa Plus because there's no doubts as well, camera format becomes very vital when you want to do something that mm -hmm. looks good on a big screen. Um, so I had a lot of goodwill. I had a lot of friends from the industry that came down to help uh, setting this yeah. up, you know, and uh, and that made it happen, and uh, and that was great. It's that, it sounds uh, a little bit like uh, our film with us all living under one roof, uh, you know. No, George, but exactly, film. exactly, and that's what I mean about Peter's film. Like uh, mm. for me, the old man is a massive step up. You know, I look at, at Seagull, and of course, uh, as a photographer, there's a thousand things I would like to have done different. I would have done this different, but I also remember my approach at the time as my first feature, and I thought I'm going to keep it simple because it's about getting the story. Mm -hmm. I didn't have constant help all the way through. I had some guys for a week, and somebody else took over, and you know, there's a lot of time I mess around it. But I just thought keep it simple, mm -hmm. uh, make sure that the nights the evenings and the days were cut together scene by scene in different days by keeping a simple approach of what they look like, you know, because mm -hmm. it's not so much about, for me at the time, fancy lighting or something's going to stand out. It's about the, uh, the, the, the story joining itself and uh, what do you call it? It's quite, yeah, the kind of continuity. Yeah, continuity. continuity of it. Mm. It just has to feel like it's, it flows between these different times of day. Yeah. So I just had a really simple approach to it. and. I'm still really proud of it, as you know, because I knew what I was up against. But having all of that experience of no, it has to happen. Having shot another film in between for a director called Hattie Hajay, and having done a lot of projects around 
uh, you know, trying to get money in and, and yeah. focus pulling your stuff, I took a lot more experience and punch with me into the old man. Yeah. And um, and the script of it as well, I thought was was I'll give you more comprehensive than than any other things I shot so far, and um, complete as in you know, and the storyline, the events with the characters and stuff and. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like I've taken I t- I've really taken everything that we talked about up until now. I took that with me into the old man. Oh bloody uh, well, well, lucky me. Eh? Why is ringing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Rami, tell us a little bit like your kind of systems throughout the day. You had this system of us. Once we finished the shoot and everyone's had their dinner me and you would stay up for, for hours and hours and basically go <laughs> basically go through the next day and which yeah. was exhausting but it was yeah. so incredibly valuable and i would always work that way again in the future tell us a little bit about that about your kind of planning the way you plan things yeah but again just learning that decision making takes time mm. and if you can prepare yourself before you have a whole team around you to put them into motion the next day then you're six steps ahead it's, literally not even exaggerated it really is you mm. wake up tired you look at something like okay what are we going to do here mm. that conversation you know if you have that down on paper already this is the idea it doesn't mean you're exactly going to do it but it means you know where to start and it just means you can focus in on the details of the story and you know work your way around it it's like having a i don't know what to describe it's like, a, it's like, it like a blueprint for the next Day. It's exactly, a plan. Exactly, because because exactly. I, I found that when we did stay up, we were making decisions and changes that were quite fundamental to the way the next day went, even to the point totally. where we, yeah. we, we were sat in a room and we were like, you know what, this room isn't going to work like this. We need to change yes. the whole room around. <laughs> and then so one o'clock in the morning, we're just moving bookshelves and sofas. <laughs> and the next day it worked perfectly. And imagine yeah, if we, had, imagine if we yeah. did that the next morning, we would have been screwed. It would, you wouldn't have seen it. It would have killed no. like an hour where this hour we had camera set up, we had access rehearsing, we had staging, yeah. we had time to perfect because we didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of things, but the things no. we did became more uh, perfected because mm. yes, we had we had thought them out the day before. So mm. um, so yeah, it's super hard. I mean, Peter and I and Siegel did the exact same thing and, mm. and we were also knackered, but every day we got there and, and you know, Seagull was actually a little bit bigger in, in crew and stuff, but it gets mm. to a point where things you plan don't go to plan and things go different and some actor doesn't turn up or something happens and you have to restructure and Peter as a director, you get pulled in a thousand different directions, but because we spoke about it, I was able to help him into like, yeah. well, actually, if we're doing this now, we spoke about this because it's going to link with this and it just mm. gave me a chance to be with him throughout the script of what we agreed that we tried to achieve and and it just became like we became bodies in helping each other to stick to yeah. the game plan of the storyline where what are what are the key moments in this scene and what what, what where is it going to lead to and all of it and i think that's what what we did as well you know that was mm. uh that was, that was without a doubt really rich you know that's yeah it was uh yeah it was massively massively helpful because the, the there's all there's all the planning you can do on paper before the fact but actually getting to a set or a location <laughs> particularly one where on this one we we, we had no recce no <laughs> so we were kind of totally going in blind potentially uh, it was a complete disaster potentially but i think it was just that i mean the fact as we turned up and it was a fantastic location yeah not not 100 percent ideal not 100 not 100 ideal but it was the fact that we had so much to work with that we could stay up plan 
and uh, yeah. just get the most out of it, right? Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it was um, it was a three sixty location. You know, we could mm. we could think things up as we wanted. We could change the room around. You know, we could move furniture. There was nobody to answer to for a week apart from ourselves. There was no. And it was it was it was uh, like when we were looking for locations for like where's Mick and Drew's room, right, Rami? It's going to be your <laughs> bedroom and Andre's room. You got to move your yeah. stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> it worked really well. It, it worked really well. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I don't mind. You know, it's like. For me, when you go onto a project, you had to you had to step into it with everything, whether you're an assistant or you're helping somebody else, or like we're, we're taking it on. It's, it's you kind of have to live and breathe it a bit, you know. Obviously, when you're yeah. assistant on a bigger thing, yes, you have your moments where you can feel like, okay, it's more of a day job, you know, like what I'm doing now. You can have that feeling and you get home, but no, particularly when you're leading something, you 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 know, for the time you're shooting, that's it. You know, you have to mm. live and breathe it, you know. And uh, I think as tiring as it is and as much as it drains on your family life and personal life for that period, it also leaves you with this remarkable sense of achievement. That's mm. what I'm feeding on, what you're feeding on, what I think anyone who wants to make films are feeding on. And, mm. and the time after, like now, for a long time when I had the baby and I haven't worked, but I had the sensation that we did so much on, on the old man and we still got a bit to finish. But the feeling is like, yeah, you, you achieved something. and, and the time afterwards you know it's, it's a different life yeah yeah it is you're quite right that feeling of i mean thank god we did go up and do that because exactly because I, 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 I can i can remember you, i can remember you on the phone just saying to me you are going to so regret this yes. you're going to hate yourself yeah. forever if you yeah. don't go up and shoot there because yeah because uh, it's a great spot and you've got it and you've got so many things to get already your script is in in place you know uh, mm -hmm. All the practicality you have to put in motion to get anything remotely close to this point is going to take you the best part of years, not more, you know, and you're going to yeah. be uh, misled by all sorts of other things, financial, family, all sorts of things, you know, and it's like, no, this, you, you need to strike it. Yeah. Definitely. Well, we did it now, so it's on to the next stage, Rami. So I'm looking forward yeah. to working, working with you me, me pretty too. soon, me next too. couple of months. Hopefully, yeah. To finish up. Bring it on. <laughs> and what's next for you, Rami? Where can you see yourself going in terms of next steps, next films or career choices? What do you, where would you like to be placing yourself? I mean, I always have ideas that I like to see happen, but I also know that execution is is difficult. You know, uh, when you're young and aspiring, you know, throughout my 20s and 30s, you know, you, you think that it's, you find a way to do it all. And, and I certainly become a bit more humble about the whole thing because I know how hard it is. Mm. And, um, and that's why I would say that really I would... I enjoy everything that comes my way and I, I put everything into what I choose to do because you've got to make it count what, what, what you do and, and maybe I become a bit more selective, you know, I'm, I don't throw myself out and maybe I should be shooting more promos and put myself out and create like a glossier uh, showreel for myself but actually I, I, I like my storytelling, I like my dramas, I like what I know and, and I like 
your project you know this came up and i put a lot of effort into making this happen i even had my mom coming over being with my wife to help babysit because you know it's just me and my wife here you know there's a big thing being away for that week and stuff but you know i wanted to make this count and i think for whatever else comes up i just hope that's something that i find interesting that i can put all my energy in and and, and it, it, it was into, um, you know, it was a heroic effort from you for many many reasons and one one massive reason as well was the fact that that your wife's family are all from ukraine and, and we were trying to make yeah. this film right at the kickoff of... well they were the one reason i could come over and be with you was because the parents her parents were meant to be with her for that week and that meant that she had help with the baby and i could go and shoot and i said if i go and shoot this then you can go back to work and i'll look after the baby for a long mm. time after and uh, and they just didn't come because yeah. of the war yeah so so that's why my mom's like okay well i'm gonna help you i'm gonna come on and be with her yeah and so for a weekend and i took off and my mom was here with my wife and the baby and, and i didn't see her for that week but she helped out and that's where it becomes actually like a deeper thing when you realize that well mm. whatever you do you know you need the love from family and friends to support you in your choices and the, the, the things you put your, yourself into because as I said you know like what we did for that week was everything you know your brain is in it everything is in it you have to give yeah. yourself to that project but I'm so grateful for the support that my mom and Anya my wife did at the time and, and, and it's yeah. given me peace in my creative heart afterwards that you feel like you're achieving something and um, I believe the right things will come their way and you yeah. just have to take the chances and make the most of them when they do. And uh, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever comes next, I'll do the same. Well, I reckon that's a lovely place to leave it. I don't. I don't. Keep, <laughs> I don't keep you too late, Ram, because I know you're shooting tomorrow. No, it's all what cool, time? What, what? What? Stop. What's your? What's your call time tomorrow? Well, you got to be ready and set at eight with the cameras out and all of this malarkey. Okay. You know? Yeah, and you have to travel. God knows where it is, and um, I'm yet to find out. But uh, it's all east, southeast type of thing. Okay. Uh, well, it's probably a good 40 minute journey on the bike and uh, <laughs> and yeah yeah oh man well have a have yeah. a good shoot tomorrow get a good night's sleep tonight thank you and um, uh, it was lovely to chat with you rami as always yeah lovely to chat Bye, rami. great to see you again great to see aaron definitely lovely and to you. chat i could uh, carry on for ages but we'll carry on another day somewhere else we can we, yeah. we can we can always we can always have another catch-up pint or even another chat on the podcast and yeah. um, once we got the film rest of the film done yeah i'm really looking forward to that it's, it was i mean as i said you know when you changed it from a mini episode to a, to a film script and, and i read it i was like yeah it, kind of, just it, it worked yeah, it's Thank just great and i just i just know in myself we're gonna finish it i know it's, it's a struggle to put it all together but you know we, it's it's a lovely project we're it's gonna great. get there we're gonna we're get there mate Definitely. all right guys Rami, love you, mate. Oh, love you too. Aaron, wicked. Cheers, cheers, man. Cheers, cheers. And there we go. That's episode 28 of DIY Cinema Cult. And that was our chat with the very, very lovely Rami Pataldi. The man who puts the cam... No, the man who puts the man in cameraman. Um, he doesn't put the camera in man because otherwise he would be performing a colonoscopy and that is not in his job description. Stop ad-libbing, Mark. It is a disaster. Okay, anyway, back to the script. So, yes, that was Rami Bertoldi. That was episode 28 of DIY Cinema Cult. 
don't forget that our Kickstarter campaign is live until the 2nd of October. Go to kickstarter.com, look for the old man or click the link that you will find in the show notes of this episode. It will take you to our Kickstarter project page and see how you want to get involved in bringing our film, The Old Man, to life today. Get involved today. And do drop into our Facebook pages, whether that be the DIY Cinema Cult Facebook page or the Old Man Feature Film Facebook page, because I am posting more um, behind-the-scenes little mini-docs about the making of the film, particularly that, you know, obviously our first block of shooting up in Cumbria in the Lakes. We had an amazing time, and we have more amazing times to come. We are about to launch into our second block of shooting, and you can get involved. So go to kickstarter.com, see how you want to get involved, become part of this project, become part of our team and our film be a part of it today also i don't say this enough in fact i don't say this ever but likes and subscribes are all very very important to us on facebook on on social media twitter the twitters and the facebooks and the tiki tocks um so all of those things are, are great we don't do tiktok i don't do tiktok i mean i maybe i will tiktok dancing no i'm not going to do tiktok dancing. um thank you all so much for all of your love and support so far it has been so humbling so beautiful thank you for getting involved thank you for all those who are already involved in this project they're already aboard this train you can be with us too come on board join us at kickstarter.com look for the old man or press the link in the show notes blah 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 said it all before anyway i love you all guys you're all absolutely bloody brilliant until next time bye on twitter at diy cinema cult or on instagram we are diy underscore cinema underscore cult seek out the diy cinema cult group on facebook or why not email us at diy cinema cult at gmail.com